the Lord be with you. When I was an elementary age youngster, our family attended a party in the church basement on October 31st. Yep, it was a wholesome alternative to the Halloween celebrations and trick-or-treating and who knows what else was going on out there in the world. Understandably, this was troubling for me. Trick-or-treating was a sacred rite, a truly blessed ritual. I was distressed. To make matters worse, we weren't allowed to dress up in any of the typical costumes one would associate with Halloween. No dark or scary stuff. No vampires or ghosts. No pop culture references or anything zany. I don't remember what they called it, but this approximation of a church basement dress-up party and costume contest was entirely Bible story character themed. And all of the costumes were required to be associated with a famous Bible story character. Undaunted, I hatched upon a plan, one that would satisfy the requirements of the contest without violating my personal code of costume practice. And my mom totally went all in on it, to her credit. She ripped up old bed sheets and she wrapped and pinned them to some white long underwear and behold, the mummy Lazarus. The freshly undead man from the Gospel of John called forth from the tomb by the Lord himself, stumbling forth wrapped in grave clothes. This not a Halloween costume was a junior exercise in liberty and orthodoxy. Maybe just for fun, in the weeks ahead, send me a note. Is there a suggestion you might have for a Bible story Halloween costume that might not be suitable for everybody? As much as any of us might like to seek shelter from all the scary stuff, the scary stuff finds its way in, doesn't it? It always will. The vampires and ghosts who prey upon us and haunt us. The pop culture icons who demand our worship and imitation. The absolute insanity and banality of evil in our world. These powers and dark forces are the world that we contend with. Our own failings and limitations even. The grim reality of our frailty and our littleness. Nagging questions about our purpose in all of it and the too short time that we get to live in this strange and beautiful world. You could say that a lot of us keep doing this church thing because we hope to be a part of a community that is awake to reality. A people who take seriously and speak openly about things like suffering, the struggle of life and death. Having these conversations with honesty and purpose, with thoughtful reflection and worship. We are, each of us, hungry for gospel hope. In deep need of wisdom for life as God's children. As Walter Brueggemann puts it, faith battles for hope against despair. Nonetheless, both despair and hope occur in the midst of faith. 
And we must address both in honest faith and honest worship. Today's reading from John's Gospel is a moving story of grief, worry, confusion, and frustration. The death of Lazarus, the senseless loss of a dear friend and brother, sisters and loved ones, anticipating and praying, waiting, waiting for God to show up. Faith battling for hope. The story is also a profound revelation of who God is in the midst of our most desperate moments. Lazarus, whose name just happens to mean God has helped, has been in the tomb for four long days. Jesus has already delayed his visit by two extra days, and now these weary, bereaved sisters are four days into the morning and funeral preparation. This is an exhausting time. Four days of visits from friends and loved ones and acquaintances, planning and details, surprising responses from normally stoic people, and outpouring of love and support from the community. Mary and Martha have buried their beloved brother. Through all of this, four days of praying and waiting, they're thinking, they're praying, they're hoping, any time now, Jesus, it would be great if you could show up. In this story, Jesus' timing is such a hard thing, a frustration. Why the long wait, Jesus? Why wait four days to finally visit Bethany? Or for that matter, all these years in between. Lord, if you had been here, my brother, my sister, my dear friend would not have died. Jesus' timing is a challenge. Is he detached or disinterested? Are these agonizing moments merely a distraction for the Son of God who's got more important things to do? When Jesus finally does show up, He's first met by Martha, the hardworking, energetic, and no-nonsense sister. You probably remember her from Luke's gospel, scolded for being too task-oriented, busy in the kitchen, grumbling about her dreamer of a sister. But here, Martha's robust personality is accompanied by immense faith. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. First, she displays the courage and frankness and boldness to scold her friend, Jesus, for his long absence. And then such faith and belief in Christ's power. Jesus assures her that her brother is going to rise to life again. And Martha responds, Yeah, yeah, I know my theology. And in the last days, at the end of time, beyond our current experience, my brother will be raised again. But that's when Jesus takes things to another level. He tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. He says to Martha, Do you believe this? And her response is another profound expression of faith and vision, a revelation even. Yes, Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. Martha runs to her sister Mary, delivering the long-awaited good news. Jesus is finally here, 
and he's asking for you. Mary falls at Jesus' feet, weeping, and again, the grief of long days waiting. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this is finally too much for Jesus. At his request, they take him to the tomb, and there, in the midst of a confused and grieving crowd, John's gospel shows us the very heart of God laid bare. The intimate answer to every weary question about what our creator really thinks of us. How our pain and our suffering and our grief is known. Is God even paying attention? Does he even notice? Does our maker care? And the answer is the shortest verse in all of scripture. Jesus wept. Jesus is not a tourist going through the motions of humanity. As it turns out, Jesus wasn't disinterested or distracted. Jesus was all there. Death can be so brutal. It pains the world. It breaks our hearts. It is often so cruel and senseless, untimely and wrought with suffering. The Lord Jesus sees the pain all around him and grieves with his dear friends. The Son of God, the one who is coming into the world, weeps with the whole human race. And that's when Jesus performs the greatest miracle in his entire life of ministry. Move the stone, he says, and Martha, always the practical one, reminds Jesus of the stench of a four-day-old decaying body. Even after all of her amazing professions of faith, she's not quite there. And who can blame her? This is a rare and unbelievable miracle. Jesus calls Lazarus by name. And the crowd witnesses the strangeness, the weirdness of a man wrapped in grave clothes, raised to life, walking from the tomb. A man once dead heads home with his sisters, back to life, back to the old grind. Lazarus, a living sign of the Lord's power. This demonstration is assurance that Christ is the resurrection and the life, the whole package, the healer of what ultimately kills all of us. This story is also a reminder, a sobering lesson that even the very best friends of Jesus are not exempt from grief and suffering. Your most thoughtful worship, our most heartfelt prayers, our most faithful service does not give us a pass from death and suffering in this world. I remember tagging along with my dad when he would take his car to a local mechanic and a man who belonged to our church. In the shop above his workbench, he had a colorful, stylized sign that had the Aramaic word Maranatha and the English approximation, Come, Lord Jesus. Even then, as a little kid, I remember being struck with the bluntness of this short prayer. It almost seemed like a command, a sign in a garage above a workbench was my introduction to one of the oldest and profoundly simple prayers of the Christian faith. Come, Lord Jesus. 
This is the prayer we pray during Advent as we look forward to the birth of the Christ child. And whether we're saying them or not, these words make up the steady background prayer of any weary disciple who has had to contend with a troubled world and found it grossly, profoundly, heartbreakingly in need of hope and healing. Come, Lord Jesus. Awaiting for Jesus' prayer? Come, Lord Jesus. A plea, an earnest request? Say the words aloud to yourself right now. Come, Lord Jesus. Is there frustration in your voice? Tension in your heart as you join the saints and give voice to this short prayer? Mary and Martha waited four days while their brother lay in the tomb. And the church has waited centuries for Christ's promised return. And we have never ceased in our groaning with all creation. Come, Lord Jesus, and heal this world. Come, give life to dead places. Roll away the gravestones. And yet, even as we cry out in grief, the Lord stands in the midst of our lives shares our pain and knows the intimate privacy of our sorrow. Ours is the God who weeps with us and we wait in faith. This same Lord calls us, come out and live, truly live. You are not a slave to death. You are released and made free. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Make peace where you can. Be little and beautiful, my children. Share the bread. Live free and alive because I am the real deal. I am the resurrection and the life. Thanks be to God. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.